Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm so glad that you have come along. This is going to be a great show. I'm excited to talk to our guest today, and I'll introduce him to you in just a minute. But first, I want you to know that this podcast comes to you from Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we have just had a surge of growth. We have more students than we've ever had before. Actually, at this point, we have more active students than we have alumni in our 50-year history. It's an amazing thing because we're trying to serve a variety of denominations, not just denominations, even like groups that are outside of the kind of existing denominations. But with the emergence of the Global Methodist Church, we have a host of students who've come to us through that church and then that movement that's happening across the world. So anyways, if you're interested in a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, or if you're just looking to get a little bit more training than what you get at kind of the Sunday school level, we have lay initiatives that we'd love for you to think about. So you can find out more about us at wbs.edu. Secondly, my friend Bill Roberts helps sponsor this podcast. He's a financial planner who comes at that discipline through a from a Christian perspective, and he helps people, particularly people who are in ministry who aren't probably thinking about their retirement very well to come alongside of them and help them plan for their retirement. So you can find out more about him at williamhroberts.com. There's a link in my show notes. And if you sign up for my email list at andymillerthe3rd.com, I'll send you a free tool called Five Steps to Deeper Teaching and Preaching. It's a video-based resource that has like a worksheet that you can work through to exegete scripture more faithfully, but also with the aim of creative engagement with the people God's called you to serve. And you'll find some other things on my website, andymillerthe3rd.com, a new course on the afterlife meant for Sunday school classes and small groups with video discussion and discussion guides. A, a video lectures, and then also a course on heaven, something you might, oh no, I have heaven and afterlife, and then I have Jude, the, uh, my course on the 25 verses of Jude. I'd love for you to check that out at andymillerthird.com. All right, I am glad to welcome into the podcast Ted Cluck, who's a writer and is a journalism professor at Union University. Ted, welcome to the podcast. Andy, great to be here, man. Uh, just looking at your office there, sweet office. Okay. Uh, you want to you want to tell me about the the weird dolls there over your, your right shoulder? <laughs> oh, you get well, asked thank this you. a lot. Is that you a know, the very first guest who's ever asked me about that? What a what a privilege. Thank wow. you. Yeah. So this is John and Charles Wesley. Sure, so of course. We're, yeah. We're in the Methodist tradition. So actually, uh, oh, they just fell over there. Uh, uh -oh. Charles Wesley, if you press his thumb, he'll it'll play and can it be? But don't worry. I know you might be more in the reform camp. Um yeah. we have Martin Luther as well. Oh boy. That a boy. There we go. And then behind Dude. me, on the other side is John Wesley again. Yeah. So there yeah. Great, man. Well, thanks for asking. And I'll tell you, okay, I'm just going to go right into it. Like with how I came, how, the first time I saw the name Ted Cluck. Sure. Uh, I was at a, I think it was a Borders bookstore, which, you know, you don't find these type of bookstores very much. I was in downtown Chicago. It was snowing. It's about Christmas time. And mm. I came, I was looking in the Christian section and I found this book. And it said, why we're not emergent. And at this mm. point in my life, I had been, I was maybe finishing up in seminary. And it was like the emergent movement, Brian McLaren and the like was like, not just like this. It wasn't treated like a new uh, worldview or theology or system. It was like, oh, well, this is just the next technique that you need to have to be yeah. able to be, be an effective pastor. And all this stuff was coming in. I was cautious. I didn't, none, it didn't feel right to me. The concept of truth were being challenged and it just, it just felt funny. And it wasn't as I'll say as clearly heretical <laughs> at that point. Like in my mind, now I feel like it's gone in such a different direction. Sure. But then I got this book by you and Kevin DeYoung. And 
I read half of it in the bookstore. I was like, these guys are speaking my language. It's like, nice. this is exactly what I was. And I was like, I don't know if you are as cool looking as you were on the front of that cover, but it's like, here's two cool looking guys. Uh, I'm yeah. Like, this is tell me about that book. Like that was part of, and you were already functioning as a writer before then. But what yeah. was, was that that led to that book? Well, I'm not cool looking at all, as evidenced by the video that accompanies this podcast. But uh, <laughs> dude, that was a magical little scene you painted for me there. Uh, the winter in Chicago, the Borders bookstore, the the light snow falling. Did you did you like grab for the book and a woman grab for it at the same time? And you you've now been married for 15 years. Was uh, that? I like, need to add that. And I had a yeah. I had nice hot, hot cup of co uh, hot oh, absolutely. chocolate or something, right? You know? It's like the first act of a rom-com, you know, oh, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so there. that book, that book was my fourth book, actually. So I had written three secular market sports books before that. I was doing some writing for ESPN in the early 2000s, and that kind of opened the doors to some, some book writing in the sports realm for me. So I did a I'd done a book about Mike Tyson. I did a book about pro football, a book about college football, but I had this experience where you know, I've, I've always had long glasses and we or long hair and weird glasses. Okay. So I think kids have always thought that I'm kind of more liberal than I actually am. I'm actually very boring and conservative, <laughs> but, um, I had this experience and I was still young then I was probably around 30. And, um, these kids, these college kids from my church would give me books to read by like Brian McLaren and Rob Bell thinking that I would vibe with them, you know? So I yeah, would sure. trying to be a good friend. I would read the books I would underline everything that I thought sounded wrong and yeah. give them to my friend, Kevin DeYoung, who was our pastor at the time. And I would just say, look, I'm not a theologian. This seems weird to me. Am I on the right track? And he, and he would invariably hand them back and say, yes, that's all like rank heresy. You're definitely on the right track. <laughs> so uh, eventually we, we kind of kicked around this idea of a book where I would do a bunch of fun kind of journalistic stuff and he would do more hard theology and we would come at this thing and do kind of a, a corrective on it. And at the time I didn't even have a literary agent. Um, I was unagented yeah. still and we kind of pitched it around and Moody press took a flyer on it. And uh, I guess the rest is history. You know, my career yeah. took off like a rocket ship. KDY has kind of remained unknown, but uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. He's a, he's yeah. a main stager. He's a reformed superstar. This guy. Yeah, there you go. Well, and, and and you both moved on, probably moved from um, that position, like where you guys were. I think, I mean, you described some of what, thinking back to that book, what led to it. You were in the, um, where is it, Lansing area, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, now tell us about like some of your experience. You talked about sports books. You had yeah. um, written sports books. You have a, a career or, a, you know, a past in sports. Um, tell, yeah. tell us about that. Yeah, I was always an athlete. I was always a football player. And I, I thought that would be my life. I thought I would coach and and just be in football. But uh, the Lord had other plans. I had some pretty serious injuries. My senior year of high school it kind of resulted in me going to this small Christian college to play football called Taylor University. Uh, oh, yeah. Got injured again there. Uh, met a lovely young lady who was very cute and very 90s. And um you know, she was a big reader, writer type, and I let her read some of my writing and and she encouraged me in that realm. Uh, she has been my wife of 27 years. So shout out my wife, Kristen hey. KK. Um, but yeah, she was really the the impetus into, you know, maybe you can change your persona. Maybe you can think a little bit more broadly than sports. And as God's providence would have it, he's allowed me to stay in football pretty much my whole life. I've been coaching and playing and stuff pretty hey. much nonstop since then. But 
yeah, my first book was about Mike Tyson, uh, the boxer. So I got a chance to travel around the, the country and interview a bunch of guys that had fought Mike Tyson, which was really, really fun. I was still a young kid. I wasn't even 30. Um, was kind of wide eyed. I grew up in a cornfield in the Midwest. So like going to all these cities and gyms and, you know, different yeah. places to interview these guys that I'd seen on TV was really kind of a wild experience and a lot of fun. I would say to this day, that book is probably still my favorite. Um, it's my favorite one to like pull off the shelf and read. I think, you know, I did an adoption memoir about adopting my boys from Ukraine. That's probably my favorite book for kind of personal reasons, but, right. uh, but yeah, love the Tyson book. Then I did a memoir about a season that I spent playing arena football and then met Kevin and did why we're not emergent. And that kind of opened up this whole world of, of writing where I could include scripture and talk about the Lord and make much of him. And, and that became, that became it, man, that became my career. And, uh, it's still going to this day by God's grace. And I've, I've loved it. So there's not, there's not been much in the like journalistic world that combines these two areas of faith and football or faith and sports yeah. or like a faithful approach to sports. I mean, we used yeah. to have this magazine. Um, I would get anything I could. Now I was never a college athlete. I was as I was a homeschool athlete. How about Attaboy. that? There we go. Um, what we play? What uh, give me? Give me. I play a little basketball. A little okay. basketball. My my boys are following in my tradition as being a homeschool basketball stars. Boy. Were you? So, uh, give me your NBA comp. Were you a point guard? Are you dishing? Yeah. Are you you taking the ball and scoring? What's your what's your Isaiah deal Thomas? Isaiah okay. Thomas. Ooh. The greatest traditional point guard ever. Okay. Now this is an interesting conversation. I I do now, love do Isaiah agree, Thomas. Yeah, I do. I, I think I do. And I'm I'm very fond of that era of the NBA. I think it was much more interesting. And I know I sound like an old guy, but uh, <laughs> I met a lot of those bad boys Pistons when I was um, I was doing ESPN stuff in the early 2000s in Detroit and uh, got to beat them, uh, meet a bunch of those guys. It was pretty cool. Well, yeah. I, and I even love the early 2000s um, Pistons teams. I'm oh, still fun team. Yeah. I mean, yeah. great defense, Ben Wallace, Chauncey Billups. Richard a real Hamilton. team concept there. You know what I mean? There, were, there was no sort of traditional NBA star on those teams, and yet the whole thing worked, you know, pretty flawlessly. It was kind of amazing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, I remember at the end of one of the finals games, um, Rip Hamilton said something like, you know, uh, it, Chauncey Billups took the last shot, and he made yeah. it. And he said, yeah. well, he's our best player, and so we just need to give him the ball. And I thought, best sure. player? I didn't know there was. Oh, he's the best player. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. it was such a team oriented, had such team oriented focus, like with, you know, Richard, uh, Rashid Wallace and those sort of oh, people. Yeah. So it was a great, but back to bad boys. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the debate I often have, and I will, I go to the mat on it. You know, I, I'll yeah. say Matthew Johnson's a, maybe the greatest point guard, but not a traditional point guard. He didn't do the sure. same sort of things. Maybe John Stockton. Sure. But um, I love, I, I, and I also, I lived in um, Bloomington, Indiana for five years. Oh man, um, yeah. So that's part of why I, you know, I, I identify with the movie Hoosiers. Oh, uh, I love Hoosiers. Yeah, Bob I love Knight. It. It's my favorite movie of all time. And um, dude, so did all, yeah? Go ahead. Did Bob Knight dying recently move the emotional needle for you? It did. It did. Yeah. Talk However, about that. However, it's it's oh, man. I feel like I'm on a psychologist couch. Um, yeah, yeah. Get on the Chase Lounge and swipe your HSA card on the way out. I'm I'm doing therapy. <laughs> Yeah. Not only that, yeah, it was tough. Uh, the documentary that came out where Neil Reed exposed some of those challenges with yeah. Bob Knight and, and like seeing that video and, and seeing that whole context, it certainly changed my perspective. Yeah. I still can't appreciate the direct authoritative 
approach, but I don't like where it led him. I'll say yeah, that. Yeah, for so, sure. So that's yeah, he, seemed, I, he seemed rather tormented in it. You know what I mean? And, and, right. you know, the older you get, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this, the more you walk with the Lord, the more, the more you experience these narratives through the lens of like, gosh, that person just needs Christ. You know, I, I remember thinking that yeah. about Mike Tyson. He was so eloquent and so guilty and so good at kind of articulating his sin struggles. And yet, yes. you know, the idea of a redeemer seemed very foreign to him. And mm. uh, yeah, I just remember even even early on thinking, man, Mike, Mike really needs Christ, you know? Yeah, that's right. And I, I, I struggle, you know, you kind of want to make them your heroes into Christians when they're not. And like I sure. should say like, you know, Bob, Bob Knight, likely he was not walking with Jesus. Like there were right. people I um, um, my dad actually witnessed to him and like, mm. was a, like it, my dad ran Salvation, the Salvation Army in Bloomington, Indiana and yeah. prayed with him. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, I know there are, I know that the gospel had its shot at Bob Knight and I know the sure. Salvation Army brought him a, a, a Thanksgiving basket when he was a boy and it, like, it definitely touched him, but nevertheless, like back to like this idea of like what was going on in the kind of the nineties and like thinking mm -hmm. about these various um, movements within Christianity, thinking of Christian athletes. I, there was this magazine called sports spectrum. Yeah. I used to write for it. Oh, did you? Okay, great. Yeah. Like, and, and there was a, there was a, I'm probably still going on today. I just don't see it. It's not marketed towards me. Like teen Bibles, there was a yeah. sports Bible. And I remember open up the sports Bible and they had Joe Dumars, you know, a piston player. I love, yeah. but then there was Hulk Hogan, you know, with mm -hmm. somebody over his head and yeah. it quite, didn't quite fit it didn't quite and and there's a lot of this like how these things come together journalism and mm -hmm. communicating to people about like christian experiences and i think that that's what's unique about what you're able to do is like you have these experiences in sports and at the same time like you're you're gifted as a writer and trying to bring these things together so that that, that was i think what drew me to why we're not emergent because yeah. they're also subtitled by two guys who should be or something like that yeah i mean the the I want to talk about that. I want okay, to I want to get back the, to Tyson too. Yeah, I want to get, and I want to get back to the '90s kind of selling Christianity and sports thing, which I I'm very oh. conflicted about, and I think is very weird. But uh, yeah, by two guys who should be sort of the energy behind that was this emergent church, which is really just uh, liberal theology and MTV clothes. I mean, let's be honest, it was <laughs> nothing new under the sun. It was just kind of sexily packaged by. It was actually sex sexily packaged by. Christian publishing labels, you know what I mean? Yeah, so sure. like these, these labels that you had trusted to put out solid books were just kind of cash cowing it by, you know, publishing Rob Bell and Brian McLaren and all these guys. So the two guys who should be thing was, it was really resonating with like, for lack of a better term, white, educated, affluent suburban kids who were just bored and ready to rebel. And that mm -hmm. should have been us, you mm -hmm. know, um, mm -hmm. two guys who had grown up in Christian homes um, you know, we should have kind of fallen for it, but, you know, by God's grace, we didn't. And it just kind of became a fun subtitle, but I want to go back to the sports spectrum thing. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I think it's always weird when, and I've been a part of some of these projects to my shame, I've ghostwritten, you know, a number of them where like an athlete will say something about the Lord and then Christian publishing will immediately jump on it and like throw x thousands of dollars at this person for a book deal i mean the the greatest example of this is tebow right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um did you happen to catch the florida like the swamp kings T tebow documentaries on netflix no but i saw your article yeah 
Okay. Yeah, but, but I, I want it. I should see it. Actually, your article made me think I need to go see that. You should watch it. It was really bizarre. And you, you remember going through the Tebow stuff in the early, in the oh, early mid two thousands, and like just evangelicals worshiping this kid and like treating him like Jesus. And you know the outcomes. The yeah, the 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 range of outcomes with Tebow being he might be president of the United States, he might actually be the Messiah. You know, if you <laughs> talk to some some real hardcore dispies, you know, like yeah, he may he may be the second coming. You know, and there and there was just this Tebow mania, and I spent a day with him. I was almost his ghostwriter, which would have been just buckets of cash raining on my head. That would have been amazing, but it it would have been a very bad project for me, like cynicism wise at the time. So I'm glad it didn't okay. work out, but. It, it's just strange to me, Andy, how it's very much like the human heart for us to want to pin our worship on something physical. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? We want we want to hang it on a person. Yes, and, yes, yes. I mean, we have Christ, we have scripture, we have the church, we have all these like beautiful um, ways to worship. And yet part of this industry that we're we're both kind of in is is wanting to hang it on a person, which always didn't sit well with me and it made me feel weird and i'm actually like a, a smidge ashamed of some of these like ghostwriting projects that i've been a part of with with that but uh i just wondered what your thoughts were on all that no no i thought i thought your article and i just encourage people to go i love how world news group has you um writing for world opinions yeah. like i think I it's it. a little different slice for mm -hmm. them and um i saw that article on tim tebow and i resonated with it because I, I think this is what you get, Ted, that I like is that you we had maybe because I see some of myself and the things you did not being a football player, but yeah. understanding like there's like this Christian culture that's a part of who we are. It's an evangelical culture, which often is finds its identity and what it's not. But yet theologically, I certainly like subscribe to the tenets of it. And there are good things that that culture did for me, like yeah. uh, maintain like. I had a purity ring and like I saved myself for marriage. And I imagine that I listen yeah. to decent talks. I don't want your sex for now. And that like, that was a pretty good thing. You know, yeah. I, I listened to all of the, I had a WWJD bracelet. Yeah. Now, now there's some, there's some like things about that culture that we've heard now a purity culture. It's not so good, but sure. nevertheless, like they, that evangelical world was pretty good for me. But yeah. at the same time, it has such excesses and such extremes that you get on this, like a T the Tebow moment is a key part of that. And, and you described it really well in your article. You're like, well, you know, is he going to be president? Is he going to be Messiah? Well, it turns yeah. out you walk into Hobby Lobby and uh, there is his ghost written book next to mints and uh, a variety of other things while you're yeah. buying Thanksgiving decorations. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was a kid who had a few years in the pros, tried baseball, did some underwear ads. He ended up not being the Messiah, which is fine. You know, like all of which to say he was kind of a normal dude in his twenties trying to figure it out. And, um, that was probably the right outcome, you know, for, right. for all of us, but, uh, yeah, really strange moment and strange to like, look back on my career and realize I've kind of been with somebody, some of these moments, you know, and some of these people over the years. And I mean, the reason for me writing about sports from a Christian perspective is just that, Sports has had such a grip on my own heart for so long. It's been a lifelong project trying to figure it out and mm. trying to figure out for, for the Christian, what, what place does it occupy in my heart? What place should it occupy in my heart? How do I do this in as Christian a way as possible? 
and it has implications for how I've tried to parent my kids and how I treat my wife in it. And I just think it's a really important thing for those of us who are in sports to to try to get right, you know? Yes. What is that place? I mean, there, I, I've come around to it more now having, I have a 16 and 14 year old boys, I have a 12 year old daughter, but mm. um, I definitely think part of my role as a father and I you grew up in a tradition like where we fought, we had our teams sure. and played sports and kept in shape, but sure. it, you, the, the, there's like a role in, in my fathering that is also acclimating them to sports. Yeah. And, and I think like there's a, uh, is it, is it just so he'll be like, they'll be like me. So they'll understand it. Or is it also something deeper? Like they're the, the things that sports teaches us to, to live for a goal, to have yeah. discipline. Um, I think that that's some of what's at it for me. I mean, you've written about this, like putting sports in its pop, proper place. Give us a little summary of like what you think that proper place of sports can be. Yeah. Well, I think, I think to your point, we admire it, right? So you watch, some old Isaiah Thomas tape and it like stirs something in your spirit. You know what I mean? You love the courage, the creativity. I feel the same way when I watch like Walter Payton or, you know, Mike Singletary or some of my favorite, you know, guys from my childhood and it stirs something, right? You admire it. And so it's natural to want to share that with our kids, but I see so many sports parents and even Christian sports parents just making an idol out of it. Yes. And I, I did that myself, right? I'll be the first to admit I was a psycho with it, dude. And that's that was not good. There was a lot of conviction. A lot of it, like, very helpfully came from my wife, who okay. is yeah. not an athlete and not a sports person and didn't understand it. So we always kind of had this push-pull in our marriage of some things starting in a good place for me. Like, one was my oldest son had, like, mad athletic ability and still does, you know? and and he's an amazing guy. We're dear friends. We're thick as thieves to this day. By God's grace, I didn't ruin football for him, okay. though I probably tried to, you know, <laughs> and it's turned out to be this rich thing that the Lord's allowed us to experience together, but not without a lot of mistakes along the way by me and me just elevating it to a place that it should not have been, you know, mm-hmm. and but for the godly rebukes of you know, my wife and just conviction of the spirit, I think I could have really ruined that for him. And I could have really done damage to our relationship. And I'm really grateful that the Lord didn't allow that to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think being somebody who's experienced sports at kind of a higher level and yet felt that conviction of, Ooh, I'm, I'm giving this too big of a place in my heart. I think it's kind of given me a unique perspective on, on maybe writing about it in ways that can be funny and self-deprecating and self-indicting, but also cautionary, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I resonate with a lot of what you're saying there. Like there, there's a cautionary piece at, at play. And um, my wife came from a family that didn't emphasize sports. And yeah. so when I then um, wanted to, when you're newly married, watch seven hours of football every Sunday, there was yeah. something that needed to change. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm like, oh, this does have a place of prominence. And, and I'm not saying that necessarily came from my family. It's just, sure. I, and it sounds like you're a Bears fan, as am I. Yeah. So my parents are from Chicago. Oh. And so that was, that was kind of my like on-ramp into loving the Bears. And then I was in fourth grade when they went to the Super Bowl. So that was just a magical time. It's when you're old enough to like 
you're a sentient being and and you know what's going on and all that stuff but it's still sort of magical and ethereal to you you're not so old that that it's it's lost its magic so yeah that was just an amazing time man and yeah. what an amazing team so many personalities that was back when nfl players had personalities and they were actually kind of interesting people and the yeah. coaches were interesting people and you know the bears kind of being this like dumpster fire of an organization always they had they had this like little moment in the early and mid 80s where they were good and that was a lot of fun to be a part of and now they're back to being a dumpster fire that's right well we're we're we're, we're working for those draft picks this year or that's always the narrative isn't it we're working for the that's draft right. picks you know <laughs> Eberflus will probably be gone but hey you know yeah um what did you think of uh what did you think of Bajan? This uh, this kind of scrappy, oh. undrafted quarterback that that took over for a few games. Did you enjoy that? You know, you want him to make it. You, you want you, yeah. it, it, who who doesn't? Want, and of course, you won't be surprised by everything I've already said. That okay, so Hoosiers is my favorite movie. Then yeah. Rockies are close second through eight. Classics, right? all of them. Yeah. So I who doesn't want to have the the kid who's uh, been this um, Division two come in and yeah, that's right. I would, I would love it if he was like a little bit better. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's probably not going to work. Like yeah. he probably has a good future as a backup quarterback for the next uh -huh. five years. But I loved him, man. And I, I love, but I also, I have a lot of effect. I'm a big 10 guy and I've sure. lived in SEC country for a long time. I, I have my order within the big 10 that I root for, but I'll end up rooting for Ohio state. And um, yeah. they make the championship, even, even though it might be my last team in the big 10. Sure. sure. So, um, I love Justin Fields. Like I want him, to, sure. I want him to be good. I want yeah, him to be, that's right. and, and he has such amazing athletic ability. It just doesn't seem to be connecting and, um, with wins. Dude. So let's do 30 seconds on this all time favorite Chicago bears, like players. Are you like an Urlacher guy or who are your favorite bears of all time? Oh man. I'm going to just, the first thing that came to mind, I'm going to say Richard Dent. There you go. Yeah. The yeah. sack man, number yeah. 95. He was awesome. How about you? Uh, Peyton, Singletary. Oh. Uh, I was an Otis Wilson guy back in the day. I wore 55 because he wore 55. I thought he was really cool coming off the edge there and just kind of a cool looking dude. Looked great in the uniform. Uh, Wilbur yeah. Marshall was a favorite, like getting more modern. Of course, Erlacher, Lance Briggs enjoyed those guys. Oh, that's a great. Um, period. yeah. All the Rex Grossman, man. Rex Grossman, that was an interesting thing because, like, if you look at the Rex Grossman experience, I mean, have there has there ever been kind of a worse starting quarterback in a Super Bowl? <laughs> you know, I mean, we we're, no, we're looking so. at yeah, we're looking at guys like Gus Farad there and Trent Dilfer, and I think Grossman was probably arguably the worst starting quarterback in Super Bowl history. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Oh, that was so tough. And um, so I'm just flexing my uh, all my sports connections when yeah. I was leading the Salvation Army in Tampa for five mm -hmm. years before I came to Western Biblical Seminary I became mm -hmm. close with uh, Tony and Lauren Dungy okay and uh, it was always a kind of a tough part when I'd be in conversation with tough moment when we actually talk about our teams and I'd yeah. be like yeah you beat my team in the Super Bowl like that was yeah. tough even though I would rub in the Hester thing that he somehow kicked the ball to Devin Hester yeah um, so yeah how do you do that you know that's unconscionable but, so uh, he, he, he goes, there's a story there. He would never tell me that story. Dude, but, when um, you were, when you were in Tampa, uh, did you ever meet Mike Allstott? You know, he was involved on the other side of the Bay in St. Mm -hmm. Pete with okay. a Christian school. He coaches Christian school that I had, I was friend, I had friends who were in that school, but no, I didn't yeah. ever meet him. 
Dude, he was an all-time favorite of mine, too. Oh, Great, man. big fullback, neck roll guy. Uh, loved all stuff. Yeah. I mean, I I could go back at the bear. You know, I I just saw a clip the other day um, celebrating Curtis Conway's uh, touchdown pass. So oh, can, yeah. Yeah, I was I was totally into those teams that some of those teams that only won one or two games. Yeah, those fun, crappy, like late 90s, early 2000s <laughs> bear teams that were, yeah, kind of a disaster. But they always had like one or two fun players. You had... Late career, Brian Cox was in there in the late 90s. That's you had right, Curtis yeah. Conway, Raymond Harris, Jim oh, Miller. Yeah. Rashawn you know. Salam. Yeah, uh, Rashawn Salam. You know, great for one year. Great. Yeah, I fumbled the ball so much. Okay. Curtis Enos. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all right, Curtis we can do this all too. day. Yeah. yeah. This is so much fun for me. I might be losing people. So I want to go back to Tyson. That says people yeah. probably will be more engaged with that. All right. Sure. Uh, I'm a couple of years younger than you. I didn't quite get to experience the uh, 85 Bears, but only in memory. Um, yeah. But at the same time, tried to w- watch all that I could. But that period was a period, too, of Tyson. Like, this is yeah. a period. Every kid, in, I mean, everybody knew uh, on my playground, everybody knew what had happened, like how many seconds it took him to knock out each person. Sure. And sure. now as I look at it, I'm like, now in, a, in an age of Fury, Wilder, and these type of people, um, you think about Tyson being this short guy and yeah. having this amazing story, just, but it was just this dominating force what was it what did you learn from people who had faced him yeah I learned a lot obviously and and yeah growing up in the 80s it was kind of this heady admixture of you had the rocky movies kind of popping off at a big level rocky 4 which is a terrible movie but so much fun to watch came out in 1985 it's like an 88 minute music video Yes. I think they were doing a they were doing a lot of coke in the mid 80s but uh <laughs> so you had rocky 4 you had Tyson hitting the scene and boxing is really a sport that rises and falls on its star power. Right. So you had Muhammad Ali in the seventies and then kind of a lull or a Valley. And then Tyson hit the scene in the mid eighties and he was this charismatic guy. He talked funny, but he was really articulate and he was short and small, but he moved his head like a middleweight. Like he fought like a small fighter in a lot of ways. So he was incredibly hard to hit. He was impeccably trained. They kept him busy and he was quick, right? So the guys that fought him will tell you it wasn't even so much the power, which was considerable. It was the speed. Like mm. you didn't see the punches coming. He was hard to lay a glove on. And in the aggregate, it just made him unbeatable for about five years. You know, he was really, really tough to fight and tough to beat. And tall fighters even had trouble with him. And it really wasn't until Customato died and he parted ways with Kevin Rooney that the wheel started to come off for Mike and, and the training kind of went away and then he just became another small heavyweight. And, uh, you know, of course everybody knows the, the rest, but, uh, but yeah, fascinating book, fascinating guy. I could talk to those guys forever. I mean, they're all Did very you talk to Buster Douglas. I'm sorry. I haven't seen the book. Did yeah, get- no, I didn't. I didn't get Buster because he was working on his own book project at the time. So I okay. didn't get to interview Buster, but I interviewed Evander Holyfield at his, okay. uh, mansion in Atlanta. He, he, uh, you know, brought me into his office and showed me all the kind of dirty ways that he that he bullied Mike Tyson in that fight. And uh, it was awesome. The chunk of his ear was still was still out. It was hard not to look at it. And yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, but he but he carried no hard feelings. He just said, hey, it's a hurt business. You know, uh, wow. it's a fight. These things happen. So, uh, you know, he was super pragmatic about it and cool. So, uh, yeah, they were great. Lennox Lewis, Holyfield, Tyrell Biggs was one of my favorites from that book. Buster Mathis Jr. We We got to talk to 
What did Diggs say that was interesting to you? Like what what caught you off guard with Diggs or like you didn't? Well, he was interesting because he was a 1984 Olympic heavyweight uh, gold medalist and looked like Muhammad Ali. You know, Mm -hmm. he was tall, uh, had the high top fade, great looking dude. I actually had to go to Philly twice to to interview him because the first time I flew out, he stood me up and he had had like in his adulthood documented cocaine problems and all this stuff. And I think the years had had in some ways financially not been kind, but he called me after standing me up and he was like, I really want to do the interview. Will you come out again? Hmm. And I kind of molded over and I decided to drive out. So I drove like 11 hours through the sleep from Lansing to Philly. And I was, I was pulling into Philly. He said, meet me on the corner of 57th and Haverford at 11 PM. You know, it's when I get off work. And so I drive into this neighborhood where like it's dark and there's trash blowing around and, um it was definitely like out of my comfort zone and it could have it could have really gone sideways right i mean this guy could have done whatever he wanted to me and and you know absconded with whatever but instead you know he folds my he folds himself into my tiny little car and we end up driving around philly all night just talking telling stories and we ended up in this all-night chinese place Hmm. and i asked him a pretty standard question you know i was like what would what would you have done if you hadn't been a fighter? And uh, he grabbed my notebook and my pen and he started to draw and he drew me like a cartoon Fred Flintstone with boxing gloves. Okay. And he slid it across the table. It was really good. And he goes, Ted, I wanted to be an artist. I always wanted to be an artist. And I thought that was so sweet. And that was emblematic of like why you want to be a journalist. You know what I mean? You just get to connect with people and hear their stories and then try to honor their stories. And I just ended up really liking him. You know, yeah. and it was a it was a real genuine connection. So uh yeah, the store the book is full of moments like that. And it's wow. it's creative nonfiction. It's me doing a lot of scene work and a lot of sensory stuff and and just trying to do justice to these guys' stories. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Right, I tell you my other interaction with one of your books, this one was not with Kevin DeYoung. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna put it on the screen. I did t- yeah. I did a, a doctorate of ministry at SMU Perkins School of Theology. which most of the people in my classes would not call themselves evangelical. And I was in a classroom one time where I was the only person affirming the resurrection. So it's a good environment. I went to um, Asbury University, Asbury Theological Seminary, conservative evangelical Wesleyan schools. So um, it was good for me. It was good for me. But this was one of my, um, this was one of my textbooks, kind of, uh, Summa, uh, wow. a new kind of Christianity, but I came, I became aware of another book <laughs> yeah. kind of Christianity. So <laughs> every, here's what I did. This is my method. Yeah. I'll put up on the screen together. So one's yeah. my pluck. And, uh, so I would walk into class and I would, I would have them together. Oh, that's I, outstanding. Your, yours on top. That's outstanding. <laughs> so now, did, is- did you ever get any pushback or did you get chirped by anybody in your class for doing this? Oh, sometimes I would just say things and they would um, they would just be quiet. They just couldn't quite yeah. take it. I can't but believe it, they assigned Brian McLaren in like a real like know it. theological program of study. That's that's kind of amazing to me. Well, that's that's part of what is what happens in, in uh, more liberal environments is yeah. if you're 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 trying. And also that was in a situation where they're trying to help people in ministry it wasn't sure. as much of an as as like a, trying to have a practical focus and like sure. this is the way to do that like yeah, yeah. this is i think the tail end of what yeah. he was trying to do um and they brought him in and he, he spoke to you know a few classes and that kind of thing but 
I, I appreciate like like the, the title pretty much says it all. And but yeah. anyways, it's a, a generous, fair, organic, free range guide to authentic realness. I mean, these yeah. are the type of this is the type of language that was being described. Oh my gosh, yeah, that that language was proliferating back then, and 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 scanned even in the moment as like very cheesy and and sort of uh, it was it was going to timestamp the era for sure. So. Yeah, that little book kind of Christianity was a satire that uh, my business partner, Zachary Bartles, and I cooked up. We have a, a little publishing concern, a company called Gut Check Press. Uh, we do a podcast called the Gut Check Podcast that people can check out. And um, yeah, we've done satires. We've done essay collections. Uh, we did we did a series of end times rapture novels. We did two of these. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so originally the project was called uh, Beauty and the Mark of the Beast, right? And this was kind of an homage to slash satire of the um, Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins in yeah. Times novels that were were such kind of fun, hot garbage. And uh, <laughs> so we had a we had a Tebow figure in our um, in our Rapture satire. We had um, like a Jack Van Impe type character. Um, it was it was a lot of fun, dude. I love it. it so if you're up for some fictional hahas, you should check that out. Oh, I love, yeah, th those are just kind of fun things. Like, and again, what it did for me, it was like kind of, I'm in the middle of this culture and this is the evangelical marketplace that is putting itself like, in front of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, the same thing's true. You mentioned earlier about Rob Bell and Brian McLaren being mainstreamed or headlined um, yeah. uh, in, in that period. Well, now, I mean, the same thing can be true. I was just at the Association of American Association of Religion and Society of Biblical Literature. And when you walk around and you see the, the various booths, it's just um various forms of critical theory. And it's like yeah. everything you can imagine just putting that lens on yeah. all scholarly efforts too. So I, I and I feel like many of the major publishers are doing similar things now. I was in a yeah. situation like when about about when your kind of Christian this satire came out. Um my denomination asked me to be a part of a task force for saving young adults. Like they're mm -hmm. just like leaving the church. So what can we do? Sure. What kind of can we do? And there was a couple of people who were older in that group. And we went around the table and we were all going to describe like who we were and, um, and what we were bringing to the group. And the two people, they were probably in their fifties or sixties. They said, mm -hmm. well, I'm really concerned about the church, but I just had the, the, the one of the authors in that period was Phyllis Tickle. I don't know oh yeah. Remember. I remember Phyllis Tickle. So sure. She said, Phyllis Tickle said to me, she said that I'm emergent. So I'm proud to say I'm emergent. Wow. And then another guy said, and I found out too, you know, <laughs> I'm emergent too. And it yeah. came to me, the actual young adult at the time, I don't know if I'd be so now, but yeah, like sure. the actual adult. And I said, my name's Andy Miller. Um, and I am proud to not be emergent. That's uh, funny. Yeah. So this is well, what the call. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it was weird, man. And it was weirdly marketed in that there was a like marketing to young people aspect of it but there was also like a breathing life into old dead liberal mainline denominations aspect of it where like all of a sudden you know your 55 year old lady who's in an old dead liberal mainline denomination would read <laughs> brian mclaren and kind of resonate with it and go oh we're already doing like com contemplative prayer walks where we're praying to nature or whatever and it's like and now he's he's you know blessing that practice and uh it was weird, man. It was definitely like a nice, I say nice, there, there was nothing good about it, but it was a nice marketing moment for the industry where they, they, they kind of pitted our camp against their camp. And I think it was good for business for everybody, if that makes sense. Okay. Interesting. It's yeah. like a chaos 
Now, somewhere there, you and Kevin also came up with the book I found really helpful to why we love the church and praise yeah. of institutions or something like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm interested in like your, your perspective on that too. Like, so you had the, the one piece is like identifying like what's going on in this evangelical subculture and then theologically yeah. analyzing it. But then the other side is like, what are we trying to do? It's not just about mm -hmm. deconstructing, but like yeah. what is, what's the reconstructive, refortifying effort? So yeah. tell me a little bit about that book. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to do something positive, right? We had kind of done the the negative take with why we're not emergent, and we wanted to, yeah, just celebrate church life, you know, and and just kind of reaffirm that your your Christianity doesn't take place in a vacuum. This was kind of like this would have been like phase two of the internet, but like phase one of social media, and there was this big sort of I can watch sermons online movement and you know, my faith is really personal. I love Jesus, but not the church. I mean, all that stuff was kind of yeah. sexy back then. And yeah, we wanted to double down on, yeah, church life is rich. You know, local church life, it's it's not perfect. Um, and there are things about our, our own churches that we find funny, but um, for the most part, I mean, this is a gift. This is a rich thing. And I, I want to spend my life being a man of the church, you know, I want to invest there and I want to listen there and I want to learn there and worship and bear one another's burdens. And uh, we just wanted to celebrate some of that stuff. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really encouraging when people get into the the real nitty gritty of what what really is happening in life and like kind of the messiness that can be with churches and and, and in the Internet age when you can have these really appealing, polished public speakers with lights and smoke machines and different yeah different angles um it could be like man i'm i'm missing something but yes. actually probably where you are um is something richer if you could just see it yeah that's right and i i think growing up evangelical tell me if you resonate with this i always was wary of anyone like overtly trying to tug at my heartstrings so mm. where you would you would go to the Christian youth conference or whatever, and the lights would go down and the smoke machines would come up and I don't know, some guy would be like tinkling a piano and like I, I didn't I never liked moments that were calibrated to elicit some kind of reaction. So like genuine worship, genuine biblical expositional verse by verse preaching has always kind of resonated with me just because it seems so real, you know, mm -hmm. and I do think it's the best way to spend our time, right? I've got a finite number of days on the planet and I want to spend them learning the whole council of scripture. And yeah. I want to be in churches that encourage me to do that. I want to be in churches that show me my own sin, but also show me the redeemer. And yes. that's, that was the energy behind the book. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think it, I hit that target. So what happened after um you you and Kevin are both in Lansing, but now you're in in uh, Jackson, Tennessee, Union University. Yeah. Uh, tell us about what happened in the meantime. Well, we kind of both embarked on solo careers, you know, and we each started doing books on our own, mostly Christian books. I, I had a, a couple of secular books mixed in there still. I think um, some football things, and I did a book on professional wrestling, which my my wife insists was going to be a career killer and the worst project I ever did. And she was, she was right. Um, okay. as she often is, you know, I enjoyed the project, but, um, but yeah, we were doing solo stuff and, you know, eventually I went to, I went to graduate school later in life. Like I, I didn't enjoy college. I didn't enjoy undergrad at all. I was super bored and kind of, um, indifferent toward the whole thing, but 
you know, I loved writing. I'd started adjuncting, even with a bachelor's, I found this community college that would let me adjunct. And I was teaching like freshman comp essentially to, you know, guys who had just gotten out of prison or just come back from the military or whatever. It was a rough crowd, but, but I loved it. I loved teaching writing and I loved the energy of the classroom. So I decided kind of later in life to go back for the MFA thinking I would hate it, but I loved it. So I got my, Mm. my master of fine arts and creative nonfiction and embarked on trying to get a, a teaching job, a full-time faculty job at a college and quickly learned that, you know, despite all the books on my resume, the fact that some of them were Christian really disqualified me from most jobs. In fact, I had Mm. a, a very kind thesis advisor in this secular, you know, MFA program who, despite me being a Christian, he really liked me and I, I really liked him. And, um, I asked him, I said, you know, knowing what you know about my resume, do I have a snowball's chance of getting hired by an English department in a secular school? And he's like, I think the world of you as a writer and as a teacher, but he's like, no, you don't, you know? So I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, that's tough to hear. But then when, when union came calling, they were in need of a journalism professor. I'd spoken there kind of touring after one of the books, Kevin and I spoke at union university in Jackson, Tennessee, which is where I'm teaching now. I'd never heard of it, never heard of the town, flew in there for a night, but I kind of stayed friends with one of the guys who works there, who was our handler for that that weekend. And he indicated that they needed a journalism prof. I went down and interviewed and the Lord just worked it out. You know, I've, I've been there nine years. I absolutely love it, Andy. It's rich. The discipleship is rich. The school is still Christian, which is kind of remarkable for Christian colleges yeah. circa 2023. I'm really proud of that. Um, we've done some incredible things in our journalism program. Uh, yeah. For a school the size of ours, we're a really small school. We've won Best Magazine of the South four or five times since I've been there, Best Feature Writer of the South against huge schools. Uh-huh. So we're competing against kind of all of the SEC, all the like directional schools in the in the South and uh, doing some great things at Union. So check us out yeah. at uu.edu slash apply. Yeah. There's a little plug. And uh, come study some journalism with me. I would love it. Yeah, it's great. Well, and check out your, you know various things you've written. I'll say that I didn't know you were writing for, maybe this was your first article with them. I didn't, um, mm-hmm. until just a couple of months ago, but you had an article on um, Aaron Rodgers and kind yeah. of uh, kind of the, the pit when, when he got hurt. And yeah. maybe that'd be a good way, maybe the last thing we could talk about here. And then sure. um, maybe one more question after that. But um, like that, that kind of frames what, what you're what you're trying to do like i think that article is a good description of like of this whole picture of your story and where yeah. you've been leading it's, it's trying to put things in their proper perspective and there's somebody who likely would have uh gladly gone to rob bell's church uh, and he had the friendship with rob bell and the rob emergent- actually helped deconstruct aaron Rodgers, which is unspeakably well, sad nice? if you think about it yeah that's a very sad thing yeah yeah and so t- tell us about that article like what you're trying to do there yeah, so I mean, like the rest of America, I was I was watching football one evening, and it was uh, it was Aaron Rodgers' debut with the New York Jets. So much ballyhooed, uh, coming off Hard Knocks, which was basically like a six episode commercial for Rodgers, you know. And there was a lot of hype around this, right? And I I had kind of always been interested in Rodgers because I knew he had a background in the church and in faith, and had kind of you know, robbed, Rob belled his way out of the evangelical church and into kind of, you know, uh, amorphous, I don't know, spiritual, not Christian kind of deconstruction per the Rob Bell orthodoxy. 
And so, but I also like him, you know, like whenever I catch him <laughs> on Pat McAfee, I'm like, oh, I like this guy. I like Rogers, you know. He Let me just say, I'm hip. planning to, I'll interrupt you. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm planning to use your verb form, uh, Rob Beld uh, mm-hmm. in the future. Okay, keep going. Pat yeah, yeah, feel free to use it. So I'm watching this and I'm going, I like Rogers. I kind of want to see it work out. And then three plays into it, he tears his Achilles. And I turned to my wife who was on the sofa with me doing something else and not caring about it. I was like, this is Shakespearean. I, I just mm-hmm. said, this is Shakespearean. There, there's something deeper going on here with Rogers. And, and so you look at events like that in a person's life and you go again, through the lens of Christianity, you go, I hope this softens him. You know, I hope this takes the hard heart Mm. and softens it. I don't know that it has, you know, but that was certainly my thought and my hope at the time. Um, And Roger seems to have doubled down on like, I'm going to shock the world. I'm getting, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, whatever, like bull's blood injected into my Achilles. And I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, right. I'm going to heal 30% 30% faster than any human has ever healed from this injury, which, which is, it should be exciting, but it's kind of boring, you know, like it's kind of boring that he's like that. But anyway, that was, that was my impetus. And and I think this is what all practitioners of creative nonfiction seek to do, right? So a thing happens in the world and it happens to be something that I find interesting. So look, call it the Rogers injury. And then I think about that thing. And then I think about my experiences And then I think about what it might say about people or about the world in general. And then that's where the essay comes from. Right. And so you're writing about a thing that happened to Rogers, but also this stuff that's happened to me. And I'm trying to invite the audience into that somehow. Yeah. I think that's how a magical essay or column like that can, can happen. Oh, I love that. That's a great, you you throw scripture in there and then you have a good sermon. That's a great way to think about preaching. Yeah. Um, is 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 how we're like we're bringing together in, in preaching like you have a text you have an occasion you mm-hmm. have a congregation um yeah. and you like trying to have all these things come together so that's a sure. that's a great tip people people in my preaching classes go back and listen to that 45 seconds from ted and you're going to get some good clues there all right so the name of my podcast is more to story and yeah. i say that for a theological emphasis in our tradition like we emphasize the role of god's holy spirit it, at work in our life and experiencing sanctifying grace. So like more than just being forgiven, but yeah, also so I like being, having, um, there's more to the story of Ted. Like mm-hmm. now you have a lot of thoughts published. So you have a lot, there might not be much out there, but is there something you don't talk about very much? So like something that maybe fan, like I'm a fan, I'm a Ted Cluck fan. I probably, oh, I, is there, I don't know. Is there more well, to the story? I don't know, man. Ted? That's interesting. I have a couple things. Uh, I have a movie in post-production. So I wrote an independent film called Silverdome. Uh, It's a feature length film. I made it with a dear friend of mine named Glenn, who is a a punter at Kentucky and then played in the NFL for a number of years and is now an actor. Uh, Our our lead actress was Carmen Serrano from an AMC show called Breaking Bad from a few years ago. Um, And we crewed this thing up. We shot it in the old Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit before they tore it down. Former home of Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons uh, for a few years. So yeah, I got to shoot a movie there. We're in post-production kind of navigating the the peaks and valleys of independent films and budgets and you know different creative approaches to things but we're we're almost done with Silverdome by God's grace we'll have a finished product here you know before too long and and that'll be a lot of fun so that's something that maybe a lot of people don't know um and another people another thing that people might not know 
Uh, I'm still playing football and I'm 47. This is not a good life choice, Andy. It's really unwise. Uh, But I get to play in one semi-pro game every year with my son. Uh, So my son's a stud. He's 21 now. He's like six foot, 235, fullback linebacker. He's like Allstott. You know, he's just a machine. And to suit up with your kid in a real game is a, that's a bucket list deal, dude. I've been able to do it now. I think this year was my fourth time that I've done it. And uh, I broke some ribs. So I rebroke some ribs that I had broken playing in France like 12 years ago. So um, yeah, so rebroke some ribs. I'm in a little, little bit of pain right now. So I'm playing through pain on this program. And uh, (laughs) I want you to know that's the kind of commitment that I have to. uh, That's right. We had to reschedule this interview for that, but uh, we we did it. Yeah. That injury. Thank you. Uh, Thank let me you. ask. I, I was going to do this. I didn't. Okay, let's just go through your. You asked me some fun sports questions. Sure. So, uh, top three uh, football players. Top three football players all time. Uh, for me, Peyton, uh, Walter Peyton. That is Dick Buckus, former Bears middle linebacker, and third would probably be. I want to do an offensive lineman because O linemen don't get enough credit probably big anthony cat munoz williams. what's oh, that oh there you go big cat williams oh big cat williams yeah legend <laughs> chicago bears legend not quite at the level of anthony <laughs> munoz but pretty pretty amazing player in his own right for sure former defensive lineman turned offensive lineman big cat there you go so yeah um yeah oh, uh, uh, all right how about basketball three top three basketball all time yeah so i'm gonna go with i don't know some some interesting guys that i liked but obviously apex mountain is jordan Uh, I got to interview Jordan at the very end of his career when he was with Washington. So he was playing in Detroit at the Palace of Auburn Hills and NBA locker rooms are well, the NBA is interesting in that you do the interviews before the game. Right. So unlike the NFL, where you do them after in the NBA, you get some time to interview guys before the game. So the, the home locker room at the Palace is palatial, right? Like thick carpet and flat screen TVs and luxury but the visitor's locker room is like an eighth grade public school basketball locker room, like metal, metal clangy lockers and like wood benches. And so that's where I met Jordan, you know, and he was wearing like $5,000 worth of suit and earrings and Jordan's like 99th percentile good looking. I mean, he's just a kind of magnificent human, you know? Um, so I don't get starstruck often, but I was pretty starstruck interviewing Michael Jordan. That was kind of wild. So uh jordan would be on he would be number one for me um let's see now the real question number two and three that's it yeah two and three i'm just gonna go with guys that i like i really like ben wallace i thought the ben wallace experience was really fun um (laughs) he had a great physique he was super strong and didn't say anything but like was really physical got a lot of rebounds ben wallace was great um and i feel like i got What's that? You're just doing that for me. I'm doing that for you, but I'm doing it for me too, because it's true okay. for me. Um, and I, I got to go with, I got to go with Larry Bird. Larry I mean, Bird, yes. Dude, Larry Bird was unbelievable. Indiana guy like myself, um, you know, Hall of Fame, like smack talker, great shooter, played a whole game left-handed just because he was bored. I love Larry Bird. I mean, what's yeah. not to love? The guy was amazing. That's, you know. So, so would um but you're definitely like yeah, Jordan, but LeBron, would he, would he be in your top five? Here's my Not thing like, about... But, yeah, go. Tell me your LeBron, LeBron theory. Here's my LeBron theory, okay? And it has to do with social media and it has to do with like life in the modern digital age. LeBron, magnificent athlete. I mean, unbelievable basketball awesome. player. 
you know, it's unassailable what he's been able to do, right? But I think he's a a a gradations more boring public figure. You know what I mean? He lacks he lacks the Jordan charisma. And we could litigate whether Jordan was a good person. I think he probably wasn't, right? Right. I mean, by all accounts, he was kind of a reprehensible person, but like he had charisma, which is different than being a good person. You know what I mean? So charisma means you're in the arena and you have the option to like look at all these different things and all these different stimuli, but you're looking at Jordan just because mm-hmm. he's there. Um, yeah. And LeBron lacks that. And that's mm-hmm. not a that's not a, a shot at him. It's just certain people have it, certain people don't. So like LeBron to me is an exceptional basketball player, but a bad basketball star, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Whereas Jordan was a great basketball star. Yeah. Larry yeah. Bird, great basketball star. Magic Johnson, basketball star. In his own way, Isaiah Thomas even, though he was a little prickly and kind of divisive, he was a great basketball oh, star. Sure. You know, good-looking yeah. guy, was from Chicago. Like, it it all kind of lined up there. And so that would be my take on LeBron. And I think, Andy, something else has happened in the digital age, which is unfettered round-the-clock access to these athletes and yeah. images of the athletes and video of the athletes has rendered all of them boring because we mm. have no scarcity. You know what I mean? Like the 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 great thing about being a Bears fan in the 80s was you could only see Jim McMahon for three hours on a Sunday afternoon. Right. Whereas if Jim McMahon happened in 2023, I don't know, he'd be getting canceled on Twitter. He'd be saying the wrong stuff. Like he people would be tired of him. Um, right, right. But you only got you got him once a week, you know, and I think the NBA was similar with Jordan, where when you saw him, it was a really special thing. And it would be less special if like, I don't know, he was tweeting 16 times a day or whatever. Yeah, That's a good word. Like, I think that's that's a helpful piece because y- your imagination was a part of the experience like now yes. like it's hard for me because Isaiah Thomas has some sort of like cannabis company and like, oh, oh I know. man. It's depressing. That, yeah, I, I don't want to, or, or whoever it is, like, you know, yeah. most of them, most of yeah. them, like, uh, I, I think there's something about like the way that we, we imagine who they are. And yeah. um, so that all has changed. Ted, thank you so much for your time. I, I'm so glad that I had a chance to talk to you. I hope I get to meet you face to face in person, sometimes shake your hand. Absolutely. But appreciate your writing and kind of hitting this milieu that we share so many different things in it. And I hope other people will get a hold of your writing after this. Tell people where they can find your stuff. Well, I'm not on social media due to being an old man and due to being not good on social media. I wasn't good online. I'm not good there. A lot of, a lot of sin for me. So no social okay. media, but they can find my writing at, you mentioned World News Group. So WNG.org, just look up Ted Cluck or Google Ted Cluck World. Um, this little online scrappy bookseller, amazon.com. You can find my work there. Um, we've got a real nice little handshake agreement where they get a cut. I get a cut. It works out for everybody. Um, yeah, that's kind of it. Gut check press. They can check me out there. My little publishing concern, uh, check out the podcast. I have a podcast called cluck, just my last name, K-L-U-C-K, where we, we talk about the kind of things that you and I have talked about today. So books, culture, awesome. movies, music, whatever uh, strikes our fancy. So they, those are a few places they can check me out. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming, Ted. Man, thank you for having me.